0: From training to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
1: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm Eric Cressy and this is episode 47. I'm excited for today's guest because he's one of our longest tenured Cressy sports performance athletes. He's been working with us at the facility for 13 years um, and has some great stories to tell about being not just one of the youngest players in Major League Baseball at one point in his career but also one of the shortest and persevering through some pretty crazy injury experiences. So I think you're in for a real treat with the lessons he has to share with us today. Today's episode is brought to you by Mark Pro. If you're a baseball pitcher, you know that keeping your arm healthy is essential, but with high training volumes on top of games, that's not always easy. Overuse is a significant problem for players at every level of baseball right now. Certainly, we see shoulder and elbow injuries as some of the most common overuse injuries in baseball. And as an example, at the professional level, a UCL injury can result in an average of 17.2 months out of competition. That's a huge deal also if you're a young player and you miss out on a lot of development. So really, at the end of the day, there are three ways that we can combat overuse. First, you can reduce the workload, and certainly there's been a lot of research out there on pitch counts. Second, and this is the theme of these podcasts, is that you can build a significant level of strength and fitness to prepare yourself. However, a third key approach that's often overlooked is that you can work to improve your recovery so that you can safely display your fitness day in and day out. And that's really where the Mark Pro is an effective tool. Some athletes will even use it to warm up their arms before they throw as well. Mark Pro is a cutting-edge EMS device that uses patented technology to create non-fatiguing muscle activation, and this is what se- separates it from other recovery tools. Muscle activation with Mark Pro facilitates each stage of the body's natural recovery process, similar to active recovery, but without the extra muscular effort and fatigue. Athletes can use it for as long as they need to ensure a more full and quick recovery in between training or games. With its portability and ease of use, players can use Mark Pro while traveling between games or while relaxing at home. We have players that use it all the time on team flights to bounce back while they're just chilling on that flight. Um, We have plenty of pro guys that use this. In fact, every ML team and over 200 pro pitchers are regularly using Mark Pro. Um, Put it to the test for yourself now with our new Try Before You Buy program, and you can use the promo code Cressy at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com. Again, that's Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, at checkout for 10% off at markpro.com, M-A-R-C-P-R-O.com. Today's guest played high school baseball in Massachusetts, but was overlooked by college coaches and professional scouts because of his size. Luckily the stars aligned perfectly and he was discovered while pitching in an American Legion game and signed as an undrafted free agent by the Toronto Blue Jays in the summer of 2007 even though he had no offers to play Division 1 baseball. Between 2008 and 2010 he put up some impressive numbers out of the bullpen across several levels for the Blue Jays and was traded to the Braves and onto the Royals during the 2010 season. He made his MLB debut for the Royals on opening day of 2011. Three days later, he earned his first MLB victory by pitching three scoreless innings against the Angels in extra innings, striking out five. 2012 proved to be a breakout year for him as he struck out 93 batters in 69 innings for a Royal single-season strikeout record for a left-handed reliever. He ranked second in MLB in strikeouts by a left-handed reliever behind only this Chapman. The following year, he was selected to Team USA's World Baseball Classic roster. In 2014, he pitched in the World Series and in 2015 was part of the Royals World Championship team. Since then, he's played with the Washington Nationals and Chicago Cubs and is now in spring training with the Colorado Rockies. At the time of this podcast, he has a 3.60 ERA, over 275 MLB appearances. Please welcome to the show, Tim Collins. Tim, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Glad to be on. This seems weird because I feel like I've known you so long that it's, it's kind of random just to welcome you as if we've never talked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, we're going on like year
1: 20 almost. <laughs> uh, uh, 2007, so we're, yeah. we're, we're, 13 years deep. I've, yeah, no. I, I've actually known you almost as long as I've known my wife, so we're, I know, that's pretty funny. You're an elite company. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's actually a good place to kind of start it. So, uh, you know, I feel like your story got told a ton back around your rookie year and in the years that mm-hmm. followed, you know, especially, you know, being five foot seven, obviously mm-hmm. it's, it stands out, um, not not for, uh, for actual height reasons, but for you know the profound nature of how hard it is to make it to the big leagues at that height. Um, mm-hmm. Now that you're an established veteran, we don't hear it as much, but let's talk about the story about how you wind up playing professional baseball because you did not have a single Division One offer out of high school, correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I was set to go to Community College of Rhode Island, um, and even that was kind of like. I guess you could say it was right place, right time, um, and having some people know other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of went from there. It asked me if I wanted to play, uh, college baseball. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I just took the entrance exam and, you know, fortunately I was again in the right place at the right time and, uh, didn't have to go to college.
1: Well, I think you were, you were interesting too because you're, People forget your your high school numbers were staggering. Like, yeah. what, what was your team's <laughs> record in your four years of high school?
0: Uh, I think we won like ninety plus games, uh, and again, we played twenty game seasons. So, yep. you know, four years that's eighty games, and then you add playoffs. I think we won like ninety or ninety one games, ninety one and five or something like that. That's amazing. And you were yeah. you were
1: two way guy. You were an outfielder and you were a, and a pitcher.
0: Yeah, uh, I convinced my high school coach my senior year to let me play first base. Uh, <laughs> at my, at my tall, uh, stature at first base, uh, I convinced him that I, you know, I could jump and I could pick it. And, you know, if guys make bad throws, that's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So you, you joke about stature. Give our listeners a feel for how tall or how big Tim was, height and weight
0: freshman sophomore junior senior year oh gosh uh my freshman year I entered uh at four foot seven 82 pounds um and I remember when we were in gym the girls were kind of like oh my god I'm bigger than you and I'm like uh okay that's cool um and then sophomore year I kind of Grew a little bit as far as height goes. Um, I mean, it was a huge growth spurt for me, I think. But I was like 5'2", I believe. I think nice. that's what it said on my license, 5'2". Seven um, inches was, in a year, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and that was about a uh, 95 pounds, give or take a few pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, junior year, I uh, was probably same height, maybe a little bit taller Uh, about a hundred to a hundred and five pounds. And then, uh, senior year is kind of when I plateaued. Uh, I was about 115, 120 pounds, five, five, I think.
1: Savage. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, and we're talking about senior year. Uh, and Mm -hmm. that was a whopping two months before you
0: wound up becoming a professional baseball player. So
1: let's talk about how that transpired. So,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I was pitching in Legion ball and, um, you know, JP Ricciardi, uh, the former, uh, GM for the Blue Jays happened to be there, uh, to, to watch another guy who, uh, happened to be on the other end of the spectrum of Heidi he was a six, seven lefty, uh, Keith Landers, and he ended up not pitching. Uh, I was supposed to pitch against him. And, uh, I mean, I pitched really well. Um, and so, you know, obviously he liked what he saw. And I think that was on a, like a Tuesday on a Friday, I threw a, a bullpen for, uh, a cross checker and, um, Monday, I think I was heading down to Dunedin, Florida for a rookie ball.
1: <laughs> I, I, as I recall, looking back, wasn't it like 12 up, 12 down, like 12 punch outs. Yeah. I think that was the story.
0: Yeah. Um, and, yeah. but, but I think <laughs> okay, we <we're, and> modest. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, I, fair enough. But I think, you know, like how, how are you punching guys out? Like what was it that made you stand out? Because it wasn't, at that point, elite velocity,
0: was it? Yeah. No, I didn't throw hard at all. I mean, I was 83, 84. Um, and I i mean, I never really heard what my velocities were. Um, you know, but I was, you know, at times I was 82 to 84 and I had a really good curveball. Um, and, you know, I threw a lot of strikes. Um, and I was pretty deceptive because um, even at that size, you know, 82, 83 shouldn't come out of a, a kid that small. And I think a lot had to do with the uh the talent level I guess in that area. Um mm-hmm. you know uh Worcester Massachusetts isn't pumping out uh you know elite baseball players left and right but mm-hmm. um yeah I think that was uh I was very deceptive um I had a really good curveball and not many people know this but I had a really good knuckleball as well so <laughs> I did know that in fact. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it, well, I
1: think it's even more deceiving because the leg kick was huge, right? you right. Yeah. Your foot was above that, your head.
0: Yeah. It kind of, That kind of just developed over time. Uh, it, not in a, it was kind of subconscious, I guess. Um, uh, just trying to get the most out of my body. Um, as you would expect, you know, being such a small guy, I was trying to generate as much power as I could. And that's kind of what felt comfortable to me to, to get everything going from a stop position to getting down the mound.
1: And to be clear, you never had a pitching coach
0: growing up, correct? Yeah, no. I um yeah, I mean my high school coach uh, you know, he kind of pointed me in in the right direction, but you know, as far as mechanics go and uh, learning how to throw and, you know, learning how to throw effectively with uh using my body as much as I can, that was kind of just self-taught. Absolutely.
1: So I, I'll, I'll, I'll clue folks in. So when I actually first was introduced to you by um who was the guy who was supposed to be your roommate at the Community College of, of Rhode yeah, Island, yeah, uh, Corey, <laughs> Corey McDonald, great guy. Yeah. Um, and uh so when I, when I reached out to you, I remember the first day you came in, you were a whopping five foot five, one hundred thirty pounds, and I think you yeah. had six career innings under your belt in the GCL. Yeah. Um, and so that first off season was was kinda of eye opening. Like you filled out and started to figure some stuff out. Let's yeah. talk let's talk about so you, you signed in two thousand seven
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you won a big league opening day roster in in two thousand eleven. Yeah at, at age twenty one. You probably should have gone to the big leagues that previous September yeah. in a yeah. different organization. So what takes a five foot five, one hundred and thirty pound guy
0: into a big leaguer in two years? Um I think just a lot of uh dedication uh to the training. Um yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was um you know maturing and uh a good nutrition and a good strength training program uh, is really what helped me turn the corner as far as uh, developing into the pitcher that I became um you know I certainly needed the velocity um I needed the weight I needed uh the strength that came along with that um so really it was uh just kind of uh Focusing on the meat and potatoes, and just building a good foundation, and and um, putting on good weight and getting strong.
1: Where I think you were really interesting was your 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 weight gain and your velocity gain were they were very linear, like they were directly yeah. related to one another. Talk about how it how it changed over the years, because you know, 07 like you said, you were signed at eighty three, eighty four. How did it climb in the years that followed? And also, like, speak to kind of, it's it's not easy to get out of extended as a, as an undrafted free agent sign, um, and, and, and climb multiple levels in the same year.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, like you said, I signed, I was 83, 84, um, in 2008, that would have been my first spring training. Um, and that's when I really kind of opened the eyes of some of the staff around, uh, around that organization, um, that it really wasn't kind of a joke. Um, you know, they see this little kid walking in who doesn't have a, a piece of hair on his body, you know, <laughs> just a tiny kid. Um, and I think that was the first time that I sort of opened some eyes that, you know, I really had some potential. Um And I'm not quite, I mean, you would probably know better how much weight I put on that off season. Um, but that really, like you said, it, it it really transferred to my velocity. It was about, it was um, about for, 25 pounds. I think you were what, yeah, 155. Right, so I was, at that spring training, I was 88 to 90, mm-hmm. um, touching 91. Uh, and, you know, I at that point, I should have probably broke camp with a full season team. Um, but, you know, I was sent to extended. Um, and I think I spent probably a week and a half there. Um, and by chance, they invited me to go to um, Lansing to pitch against, uh, I believe it was Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, in this kind of exhibition game and I went in and I pitched two innings. I struck out five and they were like, who the heck is this <laughs> little kid? And the college coaches were like, how did we miss him? You know, um, so they sent me back to extended for a few days and you know, sure enough, uh, I got a call one morning and said, Hey, you're going to go to Lansing. And, uh, I remember cause my roommates were so mad cause they were 24, 25 and you know, I was 18 years old and, mm-hmm. Very limited innings, and you know, I was jumping over them. So, um, the following year, uh, well, so I spent a full year yeah. in, uh, in Lansing. You're, uh, and you're being, you're being sh-
1: like very modest right now. You were, you were Baseball America's low A reliever of the year, and you struck yeah, out, you no, struck I out was, 98 guys in 68 <laughs> innings. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was, I think it might have even been less, like 58 innings or something like that. Yeah. It was, um, it was yeah, a 1 a, 5 ERA. It was a excellent yeah, season. I had a really, really good year. Um, you know I was eventually closing games for them and um, like you said I had a lot of strikeouts and you know that was kind of my mo in high school is mm-hmm. you know low innings, high strikeouts and um, so I think what helped me carry that on was you know the strength that I gained and uh, mm-hmm. the weight that I put on so um but yeah my velocity there was you know 89 91 um, and then the following year um, in low a I mean high a I was, uh, I think I was probably up to 93, 94 that year. So I saw another, uh, jump in the velocity and I think I even put on, you know, probably s- what, six or seven more pounds, but it looked like 20. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, again, I saw, you know, a, a good jump in velocity, um, with, with the weight gain and the strength gain. Um, and, uh, so I spent, you know, the, ha- almost the whole year, uh, there. Mm-hmm. Um and then I had the opportunity to uh, go up to double a and um i got hit around a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. you know as as uh some people do with the adjustments but um and uh where are we at now double a uh two thousand ten is probably i would say my best year um that I had in the minor leagues i think uh halfway through the season before i got traded, i was at like 42 innings with, like, 78 strikeouts or something like that. Okay. Uh, so I was striking out a lot of guys, and my velo, again, had jumped a little bit, um, you know, touching 95, 96. Um, and then that's kind of where i bounced around a little bit. Um, and you you had gotten really i, I know that was a point
1: in your career where the Jays introduced you to you know kind of a lot of Alan Jaeger's work with long toss and
0: that was something yeah. for you that was that was pretty game changing, wasn't it? Yeah, i was huge into the whole long toss thing. Um, mm-hmm. and i and i still am. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of got away from it a little bit, but i'm kind of back on that same routine, but yeah, the long toss was a huge part of not just uh you know, gaining some arm strength, but keeping my arm healthy throughout the season. Um, and I think that was a huge, uh, played a huge role in in really everything, you know, my health, my, um, you know, being able to pitch every day, feeling good every day, my velocity was up a little bit. Um, I mean, I even had, um, you know, pitching coaches hitting fungos out to me because nobody else wanted to play me. <laughs> so it was kind of... It got a little bit hard to, uh, to, to long toss on a daily basis, but I, I made sure it happened. Um, but yeah, so that was huge for me.
1: 2010 though, I remember, honestly, they traded you right on the All-Star break. I remember the day you called me. I was driving to Maine and I, I got the phone call and you were, you were headed to Atlanta. So give me, yeah. uh, give me the timeline on it.
0: Oh man. So I woke up to about like 20 missed calls, um, from the Blue Jays, uh, assistant GM and, so I call him back and he's like, Hey, uh, you've been traded. I'm like, uh, okay. (laughs) And I was, I was at home on the all-star break. And so, um, you know, I had to drive back up to New Hampshire, which, which wasn't a very far drive obviously. Um, and that was it, man. I packed my bags and got on a flight and went to, um, Jackson, Mississippi and spent uh, a wonderful 17 days there. Um, you didn't even
1: get up. Didn't you sleep on a couch the whole time? I don't think you even I got an apartment. I, yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I slept on. I slept on a couch in a in a house with like four or five different guys. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a longtime client of yours, Tim Gustafson, uh, was was where I met him. He's became one of my good friends. And, yeah, uh, he's so, a legend. Yeah. So, yeah, I spent uh 17 days with uh, with them, and then. Um, I remember the trade deadline was like two minutes away. Um, and the only reason I knew that is because there was another guy on the team who was, you know, really, really praying he was getting traded. (laughs) He wanted out of there so bad. Um, but I got a call. We had just gotten in from batting practice and I just happened to pick up my phone. Um, and it was the Braves assistant GM. And he said, Hey, I've got good news. And I'm like, Okay, you know, when you hear that, you don't think you get traded. Mm-hmm. You think, you know, you're even getting sent up to AAA or, you know, something good. Uh, he said, Hey, I've got good news. We traded you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and to be fair, uh,
1: like just to put this in context for people, this is six appearances, eight innings, 14 strikeouts, one run allowed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was pitching good. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, so I said, okay. So he said, you know, uh, date Moore's is going to call you, uh, just be near your phone. Uh, and so I was. And, uh, so of course Dayton calls me and, uh, introduces himself and, you know, just expresses that he's, you know, excited to, to have me, uh, in the organization. And he, and I'm 19 and he says, do you think you can get triple A hitters out? And of course I say, yeah, absolutely. He said, okay, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, so that was it. I mean I packed my bags again and well actually I didn't pack my bags. I flew back to Jackson, Mississippi from Alabama. <laughs> uh took Tim Gustafson's car to go <laughs> to go get my stuff at the at the field. Uh and then took a taxi to the airport and flew to uh Memphis, uh Tennessee is where I met the Triple A team in Omaha and uh finished the season there. There you go. All right.
1: So I think there's like a really important lesson here for, for a lot of the players listening. Like I, I, would you agree with me that some people in this game just have no grasp of how hard it is to get to the big leagues? Like how unbelievably good you have to be to just advance level after level.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, guys who are obviously in the midst of it have obviously have the understanding of what it takes and well, not really what it takes, but you know, what you have to go through in order to get to that level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the people outside looking in have zero understanding of um, what it really takes to get to that level and everything that you have to go through. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just on the field stuff. It's off the field stuff, yep. your living situation, your nutrition, your strength training, everything that goes along with um, what it takes to be successful. I think people often miss, um, what goes on behind the scenes, yeah, for sure.
1: I'm going to read the numbers off. In 2008, 68 innings, 98 punch-outs. In 2009, over two levels, 77 innings, 116 punch-outs. In 2010, uh let's see, it was 71 innings, 108 punch-outs over double A and triple A. So like you literally had to go out and put up one and a half strikeouts an inning for year after year after year to make that, that every year jump. And, you know, in some cases jump two levels. So, right.
0: Um, I think a lot of people think it's a lot easier than it actually is. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, yeah, it definitely wasn't, wasn't easy. Um, I think, uh, the one thing that I kind of carried with me over the years, uh, through the minor leagues was, you know, I really had nothing to lose. Um, I was there on, uh, on a chance and, you know, if it weren't for that chance, I would probably be working construction, um, or going to college and hopefully continuing my baseball career. But, you know, I was, I never looked at it as a, you know, if I walked into the field and got released, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, but to me, that didn't matter. You know, as long as I still got to go to the field every day and had the opportunity to, to pitch, um, I can at least showcase, you know, what I can do. So I just kind of, you know, didn't worry about um the type of stuff that other guys, you know, would worry about walking into the clubhouse at six in the morning and they're kind of hiding in the bushes to, to get to their <laughs> locker so they didn't get released, but...
1: Do you think part of it too was like just the nature of like what Kansas City was at that time? So you made your like major league debut on opening day in two thousand eleven. And I mean, Hosmer, Mustakis, Adcock, Aaron Crow, you—I want to say there were a couple other rookies on that roster
0: as well. Oh gosh, probably half the team was was rookies. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious, first year in the big leagues, you had some some successes, you had some struggles. You know, what What made you a big leaguer in your eyes and then also what did you have to change to stick? Because um, it's just as hard to stay there as it is to get there. Yeah.
0: Um I think just uh, you know, like like you rattled off my numbers. I think, you know, putting up really uh eye popping numbers is is what it takes to get there. Um obviously there's a lot of other things that have to happen for you. Um and a lot of other things that you just have to, you know, Just do, you know, the nutrition, like I keep saying, the nutrition, the strength training, um, a lot of that stuff, um, you know, if you just keep working at it, it pays dividends. Um, for me, um, you know, I I don't feel like I was in the right place at the right time, but you know, the right organization kind of got me there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, they were kind of in a, not kind of, they were in a rebuilding phase. Um, and that kind of gave me the opportunity to, um, to, to land that spot. I mean, obviously I had to pitch well, but, um, they really didn't have anything to lose with, you know, putting a non-roster guy on the roster and, Mm -hmm. um, being 21 years old. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was an easy decision for them, but it didn't, there wasn't anything holding uh, myself back from making that team. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, to, to stick, um, Mm -hmm it's it's being consistent um you know once you get i've always said it's 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 easier to make it than it is to stay um yep. you know once you get there it's you're not done i mean you've got to continue doing the same thing and and refining and adjusting almost you know on a daily basis uh, because you know it, it's ever changing and um you have to adapt to that for sure
1: and you were you came up and you were really you were a four seam and curveball guy before it was cool mm-hmm. to be one of those guys. You, right. you, you figured it out, you know, seven or eight years before baseball did. But yeah. the, the changeup was really, I know you've said in the past, what helped you to stick in major league baseball. Um and that was not something you had a lot of success with in the minor leagues, correct?
0: Oh, I think I threw probably three changeups my entire minor league career and there were three home runs. And I didn't give up <laughs> many home runs in the minor leagues. Um so it was it was something that I worked on for years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really, really worked hard on it. Um, probably 2010, um, is when I really started to develop a feel for, for the pitch. Um, I wouldn't say it was a good pitch at that point, but it was, it was definitely getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it that
1: was so hard for you to learn about it? Was it that you couldn't find any of smaller hands? Like, was it the challenge of not having the right hand position?
0: I just couldn't figure out how to slow the ball down. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find the right grip that was comfortable to command. I couldn't find the right grip that allowed me to take the uh, amount of velocity off that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it was incredibly tough um, to to figure out both of those, um, you know, because not having a comfortable grip and then, you think you might've found one, but you go to throw it and it's, you know, it's only five or six miles an hour off your, your fastball. And for me, that, that wasn't enough. I was getting hit around with that. So it, it took a while to, to just find a grip. And then it took a while to refine that and learn how to command it and um, how to utilize it, uh, what counts to throw it in, who to throw it in. I mean, so there's, there's a, a long list of things that I, That I needed to uh, work on before I thought it was a a good pitch for me.
1: And when did it finally start to click? Was it in Double A, or was it actually once you got to the big leagues?
0: Um, I think once I got to the big leagues, it was is kind of when it clicked. Um, I mean, my first year in the big leagues, I had a lot of struggles. Um, My biggest issue was my command. Um, You know, obviously at that at that level, um, everybody is is elite uh, or, you know, near that. And, you know, you get exposed very quickly. Um, and I think that was probably my biggest lesson that I learned that year is I just can't be that guy that goes in there and outstuffs everybody. Um, and I, I really think the changeup was, uh, that was probably the year that I really figured it out. Um, I learned how to, to command it. Um, I found a grip that was comfortable for me, and uh, it was just a matter of trying to figure out how to utilize that, um, you know, with my pitch sequence.
1: Absolutely. So 2011, 67 innings, 48 walks. Mm -hmm. 2012, 69 innings, 34 walks, but with 93 strikeouts. So 2012 was a big breakout year. Obviously, we talked about the changeup being something that was really impactful for you, but... Uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, you also played around with the delivery that year. Um, yeah. so like coming up, it was, it was extremely athletic, um, huge leg kick like we talked about. Um, but it, you know, it led to some command issues and it was Dave, Dave Island was your pitching coach at the time, correct? Yeah. yeah. And what, what were the big changes that, that you made, um, between 11 and 12 on the delivery side of things that you felt like? You know, led to some great numbers. Obviously it got you a team USA invite for 2013 in the world baseball classic. What were the mechanical modifications and how did you reconcile that with not, you know, kind of having the different coached out of you? Cause it's not easy to just, you know, tone down a guy who's five, seven
0: with a huge leg kick, right? Right. <laughs> well, um, we just really simplified it. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean, we kind of took what I did best and just, found something that I could repeat and be consistent with. Um, I think for me, um, when I think about it, I got to a point where I just couldn't consistently repeat what I was doing. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the volume um, of throwing that I was doing. Um, In the minor leagues, everything is very monitored as far as your usage goes, um, very rarely do you go back to back. And if you do, you get, you know, two days rest. Um, and then 2011 comes and you're just I'm kind of thrown into the fire, um, you know, two, three, four days in a row, uh, multiple innings, uh, you know, you name it. So I was having a lot of trouble just finding something that I could consistently repeat. Um, and so that was kind of my main goal going into 2012 was trying to figure out something that allowed me to use everything that I have and just sort of simplify it. Um, and so some of the things that we did were we kind of limited the leg kick. Uh, we messed around with some hand positioning, um, from the set, um, but even when we were messing with all of that i still kind of stuck to what i felt comfortable with um and how i thought or what i needed to do to to generate as much as 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 much power as i could
1: i like it now i want to talk to you a little bit about pitch selection so we as you mentioned you were throwing you know big time breaking balls and four seamers before, you know, most people had caught on to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested, do you, do you feel like your ability to spin the ball is something you were born with? Was it something that you developed over time, you know, just playing catch when you were a kid? Was it something that surged once you get to pro ball? Like, what, what, what made for your curveball? And, and as a, as a con, just for context, in 2018, your curveball ranked fifth in all of Major League Baseball in vertical movement, seventh in vertical movement versus the average, and tenth in percentage drop versus average. So mm-hmm. by every measure possible, it was a top 10 curveball in baseball. What, was, right. what's the secret for you? How did you learn it? And how do you,
0: you keep refining it? Well, I, there's always one thing that stuck with me. Um, and this was, it's kind of funny that it does because it was, I was, Playing for a, like a nine, 10 year old travel team. Mm-hmm. And I threw a curveball to the coach. And this is funny, but I'm nine or 10 years old. I threw a curveball and he looked at me and he goes, that wasn't very good. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought I had something. Um, and that, that really kind of stuck with me. And I don't know if I, you know, subconsciously carried that around, but I, from that point on, I really wanted that to be, a good pitch. Um, and at some point I think it, it, it clicked. Um, and obviously in high school, you know, I had a really good curveball, Um, but I, you know, there isn't, there, there wasn't a point in between that moment and high school where it just clicked. I think I just kind of developed it and, uh, you know, just kind of is what it is, I guess. Um, you know, are there, are there cues that you, um, that
1: you have with with respect to a curveball that, you know, reminders that you give yourself or even like an
0: analogies you utilize? Yeah. Um, so for me, the biggest thing is I've got to really make sure that I'm staying tight, um, bringing the ball close to me. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I don't want to get a long arm path with it. And I, if I'm doing that, I, I tend to cast it. Um, and so that's, that's, it's hard to explain what I visualize in my mind. And I think that's kind of true for most people (laughs) when they're explaining their pitches. Um, Mm -hmm. but my, my mental cue is always to stay short, um, and not get too long, uh, bringing the ball back. If that makes, if that makes any sense,
1: (laughs) it makes some sense. Um, and so, actually, we're going to kind of change gears a little bit. Um, in 2014, you guys went to the World Series. See, mm-hmm. I believe you threw in game six. Season went long as a seven game series. Mm-hmm. Um, after the, after the season ended, you had a, an old hernia repaired. Mm-hmm. And so tell kind of the story of that off season, because I think it's a, it's a good lesson for, for guys, you know, on how injuries develop.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously the World Series took us in November. Um and so you know that made um that made it the longest season that i've ever had um you know months wise and and uh, appearances wise and and uh I bounced around a little bit from you know the big leagues in AAA a that year um and uh yeah, like you said, I had an old hernia that i've had for a long time um and you know I thought for some reason that this is uh the off season that i'm going to get it repaired mm-hmm. um so uh, it was like maybe a week and a half after the season ended, I, um, went up to Philadelphia and had it, had it repaired. And, um, I think the, the recovery as far as not really being able to do anything was about six weeks. Um, and so that took me to mid December. Um, and after already having such a short off season, uh, I made it even shorter by not even, by, by not, being able to, um, to have the, the proper or enough training to, to build a foundation to, to carry me into the the following season. Um, and on top of that, you know, I had a sort of a rushed throwing program. Um, I would say, uh, I guess I would kind of describe it best as not ready to, to take on that amount of throwing, um, just strictly due to the lack of training that I was able to get in. Um, and so I guess it was sort of uh, um too much too soon. Uh, and then when you get to spring training, I mean, you've got to be ready. Yeah, um, They're just going to throw the ball at you, and you've got to go out there, and uh, you got to take the ball and go. Right on. So elbow went in your first outing of the spring. Um And I, I think mm-hmm. that's something
1: – there was a lot of talk about that in the past, like kind of the, the first two weeks of spring training being the Tavi John epidemic. And I think you see mm-hmm. a lot of pitchers that – you know, you, you certainly see it in guys who have to rush to, to get ready, but I think also we see it in guys who, who are really aggressive with weighted balls and they acquire their external rotation too fast. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a, kind of a perfect example. So, you know, I, I, think there's a good lesson there is that, you know, an offseason throwing program can't, it can't start in January. You know, it's gotta, it's gotta have a little bit of build up beforehand. Otherwise you're, you're playing from behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah, um, I totally so, agree. And I think that's the, the, the unfortunate part of the story is that's kind of just the initial, you know, part of it. So talk about your, your Tommy John recovery and,
0: you know, kind of where that went. So, yeah, like you said, it was first game of spring training. Um, and, uh, I think it was probably like a week later. Um, I had flown out to uh, see Dr. Andrews, Mm -hmm. um, and basically to get my second opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that morning I was prepped for surgery and, uh, had my elbow done and, um, yeah, so I rehabbed for the 12 months and I was throwing live VPs and, uh, it was, I, I thought was a pretty good rehab. Um, there were some times where, um, I would guess you would consider them hiccups, um, through my throwing program where I felt sort of not natural, um, but from everybody that I talk to, it's kind of the natural progression. Um, you're going to have those sort of, those sort of feelings and, um, those kind of hiccups. And, you know, I was kind of just told, uh, see how you feel tomorrow. Um, see how your next (laughs) throwing, uh, session goes. And, you know, it just happened to go well and I would progress and I would get to that same point and, um, kind of feel those, those things again. And, um, the throne would go well, then I'd progress. Um, so I got to my live BPS, um, uh, and I got to a point where I really just couldn't do my everyday stuff, um, turning doorknobs and picking up my kids. And, um, I was really doing zero baseball activity in between, uh, my live BPS. I would shut it down and then hopefully it would be okay, um, for my next one. Um, but it just got too much to, to handle. Um, everyday stuff. And so that's, you know, I wanted to have a, an MRI just for a peace of mind mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you know, you know the rest of the story. Tore yeah. Again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, or either it tore again or it never
0: was there, held in the first place. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was never kind of, that was something that was never really answered for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. that was sort of my own opinion, um, that it just never really took. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there was never one moment where I felt a pop again. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of chalked it up to um, I was rehabbing something that was inevitably, you know, going to tear again.
1: And, you know, I I always remember a conversation we had when, you know, I want to say it was around the 11, 11 and a half month mark, when mm-hmm. you were ha- having a lot of discomfort and, you, you know, you had, you had been around like Luke Hoshavar and Chris Medlin, like guys who had been through it and, right. you know, the feedback you had been was that, you know, hey, there's going to be stiffness. There's going to be soreness. You're going to have to push through it. And I think sometimes like you, you're a tough dude, right? You don't get to the big leagues at five foot seven, 165 right. pounds by being soft. And I think sometimes we see people who are almost too tough for their own good. They think that. You know, significant pain and a loss of function is a normal part of it. Right. And in reality, anybody else probably would have tapped out and asked sooner than that. So it's an it's an interesting lesson in that sometimes, like, pain is definitely not normal.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. I think I kind of um, was really relying on the opinions of other guys um, and what they went through. Um, and what I've realized now is that not everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys are going to have different. um Things go on during their rehab process that other guys don't. Um, some guys are going to feel a certain way that other guys don't. Um, but big, I think the biggest thing that I missed um, was the loss of function. Um, my range of motion was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really battling to get that back um, in between throwing sessions. and uh, So I was sort of not listening to uh, to my body at that point. I was just kind of relying on what other people were telling me
1: now let's compare the revision to the second one to the initial tommy john so Mm -hmm. obviously you you missed you know all of 15 um and and all of 16 so as you're rehabbing in 16 on the revision how was it how was the experience
0: different than the first one was it was it night and day in terms of how you felt um i think i there were certain points during the first one that i feel like i felt better than i did in the second one um the second one was, was very, very, very slow. Um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you, you have a failed, um, surgery very recently. Um, and the biggest thing is being cautious. Yep. Um, so the, to me, the biggest difference, uh, the second time around was, um, a lot of the things that were implemented at certain points, uh, during the first one. They were pushed back in the second one. Um, so we were very, um, cautious in how things progressed.
1: And I, Right. That's the way to do it. Um, and so timeline, um, you, you had the, this, the revision, um, in 2015. What was the date mm-hmm. on it? Oh, excuse me. 2016. 2016. Spring of
0: 16. Um, but I think that was, gosh, I, I tore it almost a year to the date, um, okay. as my first one. And then, they didn't want me, <laughs> they didn't want me running out on the field with a cast on my arm for our world series ring. So they <laughs> waited till after the ceremony. So for a month I had a, you know, blown elbow. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and I was just playing catch with guys and doing my normal stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> and so I think that was April, um, like April 12th or April 13th of 2016 was the second one.
1: And, you know, so you, and, and, you know, I, you, we got to spend a lot of time together and then you moved back to Massachusetts for that year. Mm-hmm. And, um, so 2017, you come back, you signed with the Nationals, started off in the GCL, worked up to high A and then got to double A that year. And mm-hmm. you, you had 18 appearances in, in, you know, an affiliated ball. What, what was the elbow? How was it like that year? Cause you were, you were a little, what, you were 13 or 14 months. I want to say when you went back. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, probably a little bit more. Let me think. Yeah, it it was probably about 14 and a half to 15 months before I was back in a, in an actual game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how how did Um, the elbow
1: respond? I guess that's the the bigger question.
0: You know, at at that point I was, I think my mind was, was further along than my body was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't realize that until after the season. Um, cause There were a lot of times during, uh, that period I felt like I was being held back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so there were a lot of frustrations, um, with that alone. Um, I thought I felt pretty good. I thought the ball was coming out pretty good. Um, not till I got to double A that I realized it's not coming out very good. Um, I think that the numbers will tell I got whacked around pretty good. Um, but it was really more of a mental battle than a physical battle um my arm felt good i just didn't i didn't have that life that i was expecting i didn't have the crispness that my fastball usually had i didn't have the consistency with my break on my curveball um and i was i think i was really struggling physically but i didn't realize it because mentally i was so ready for the next level cuz i wanted to Get to the, that light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and obviously make it back to the big leagues. Um, but the front office, uh, was very blunt with me that my stuff wasn't very good, mm-hmm. um, at that point. And it didn't, t- it didn't hit me until after the season that, you know, they were right. And I was, I was very thankful that they were honest with me and, um, held me back to to develop and continue to progress instead of pushing me forward and trying to, you know, force that ultimate goal.
1: And I think you got back to a lot of the, you were able to get back to a lot of the roots in that 17-18 to offseason in terms of mm-hmm. being a little more aggressive with your throwing room once you trusted it. I know you also, you did a lot of work with Mark Campbell, the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the director of mental conditioning for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk yep. a little bit
0: about that. What were the, the biggest changes you made on that front? Um... So for, for, I mean, first off, Mark Campbell, I love him. He's, yeah. he's fantastic. Um, he's well, one hey, of my I, best friends now.
1: What I would say is this is, a, this is an important qualification. Tim Collins, I met in 2017 would have rolled his eyes at the concept of mental conditioning. Would you I agree? I
0: know. <laughs> you, yeah. You, I probably would have sat down and had a conversation, but yeah. I was sort of jaded to, yeah. to that side of baseball just from past experiences. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I really, what I really loved about working with Mark was, Um, it wasn't ever about baseball. Um, it was, um, life stuff. Um, you know, how to, um, you know, mentally prepare yourself, not just for baseball, but for life after baseball. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we did was, had nothing to do with it. You know, had nothing to do with baseball. We would sit and just talk, uh, like friends would for hours. Um, and, uh, so that kind of, um, built my trust with knowing that he wasn't trying to change who I was he was yeah. trying to help me become the best possible me mm-hmm. um, in, in any scenario
1: and I, I I mean I distinctly remember we were at the game in 2018 um, I think it was your first big league spring training appearance for mm-hmm. the nationals in 18 we saw 97 on the radar gun and mm-hmm. and sure enough you know, 30 appearances in Syracuse and you're back in the big leagues in the Nationals for, for 38 appearances that year. Yeah. Um, did, did the arm really turn a corner at 18 that second year in terms of how it bounced back between starts and things like that? It did,
0: yeah. Um, the biggest thing for me, what I kind of gathered um, going into the offseason 17 was I just had been rehabbing for almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to think that I was going to be at my best at that point was really just kind of far fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, I had put in so much work and effort and, and time to, to get to that point. I was just, in, just completely exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, the biggest benefit was having a full off season to, to get back to my regular routine, to train, to have a normal throwing program, to be able to get my nutrition back on track. Um, and that is where I really saw, um, my arm turn a corner. Um, spring training, I was, you know, there was some normal soreness, but really, um, I was, I was really prepared for, for that. I was prepared to make the team and be able to take on the, the everyday workload that, you know, that you're called upon to do in the big league. So I felt, I felt like I was really prepared at that point. Um, and that's kind of what helped me turn a corner was, you know, just being able to have five months to, to not do, you know, specific baseball activity. Um, I think that really helped.
1: What would you say the biggest lessons that you've, you've learned, you know, just in terms of how you manage your arms since you were, since you were called up in 11R, you know, is it, wow. is it how you save your bullets? Is it how you throw between outings? Is it the manual therapy asked for how you structure your training? What is it that if you could go back to 2011 and,
0: Teach yourself that
1: lesson back then, what would it be?
0: I think it would be, um, you know, the biggest thing I learned from my rehab was in order to progress, you have to listen to your body. Um, And what I mean by that is the days I felt great, I did what I needed to. I didn't try to go above and beyond. I wanted to feel good the next day. And I think that's the biggest, the, the best way to progress is what do I got to do to feel good the next day so that I can feel good the next day and the next day? Um, if I could go back to 2011, I would probably, um, I don't know if I would change much. Um, I would probably, um, maybe clean up my nutrition a little bit during the season. Um, I would probably, I, I got away from long tossing, um, somewhere between, you know, 12 and 13 and 14 a little bit, I've got away from long tossing. I think that's probably something I would have wished I continued, uh, doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that probably would have, um, put me in a better position to take on that workload that I had from, you know, 11 to 14 and might've put me in a better position, um, going into that next year. But Um,
1: that's, that's an easy mistake to make though. You know, in in your defense, I remember, you know, when you're getting used like that much at the big league level, I remember I asked you like, Hey Tim, when was the last time you threw 300 feet? And your (laughs) response was something like, I do it every day. They just catch it at 60 feet, six inches.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's the hardest part is to, to find a partner that's willing to go along with you every day. Um, and you know, one day turns into two and then you don't do it for a third day and then you don't do it for the fourth day. And then next thing you know, your, your limit is 90 feet. Um, Mm -hmm. and for me, that's, you know, that's, that's not how my body likes to operate. Um, I've got to see that carry, um, and you know, other people will, you know, go against that. But, um, for me, that's, um, that's where I benefit the most is, is seeing that carry and seeing that ball travel 300 feet.
1: I love it. All right, so we at the end we always do a lightning round. Um, this okay. is a fun one. All right, so back in your minor league era, you were notorious around this Cressy Sports Performance Facility uh-huh. for being an amazing Girl Scout cookie salesman. Yes. Um, what was that? What was the exact number you sold in a day for one of our clients?
0: Uh, I don't know. I gosh, I
1: probably sold like ninety boxes or something like that. <laughs> you set up. You built. You built a table just to set up <laughs> in the office. Right? Yeah, out
0: of scrap wood.
1: <laughs> if you if you had to estimate how many hours. Uh, you, or oh, I was going to say, what's the, what's the number one strategy for selling Girl Scout
0: cookies? What is it? What oh, made you man. so charismatic? Uh, yeah. I do. You got to relate to the people. Um, and you just don't take no for an answer. I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to say no to cookies. Um, especially in a gym. I mean, you gotta, you you just can't take no for an answer. Everybody uh, has their credit card. I mean, they're going to pay Pete at the desk, <laughs> so they're going to pay me, too. All right.
1: So next question is, uh you also know for for probably spending more hours at CSP than actual mm-hmm. staff members. Sure. What do you think your average hourly work week was at CSP?
0: Oh, gosh. I probably put in about 70 to 80 hours a week.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> and, and it was it was probably even double that when you figured you lived with Pete one off season two. Yeah, so I did. You were, yeah. You, were, you were at home on the clock, too. Um, yeah, exactly. All right. So. This is what I ask of a lot of guys. What's more important, stuff or command?
0: Um, in my opinion, I think a little bit of both. Um, you have to have the stuff, um, to be able to compete at that level. Um, but if you have the, if you have stuff but you don't have command, um, your stuff isn't as good. So I think they kind of go hand in hand, in my opinion.
1: That's, that's a little bit of a vanilla answer, but we're going to get away with it. Most guys <laughs> have, have picked a side. Um, all right. So what advice would you give to
0: a teenage Tim Collins? Um, eat some food, um, and, and train heavy. Um, that would be the advice I'd give, give myself. Um, I think, uh, obviously I would tell myself, you know, just to keep pushing along, um, because the ultimate goal is, is going to be there. So. Nice.
1: All right. Favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh,
0: gosh. You can pick a couple if you want to. Man. All right. Uh, So Tristan Magnuson is the first uh, one yeah. that pops into my mind. He's great, my roommate. Great guy. Yeah. One of my best friends. Um, You know, had a lot of good uh, brother arguments and uh, a lot of good brother times. <laughs> you, you guys were the odd couple too. He's six foot eight, you're five foot seven. <laughs> yeah. So we, I mean, we kind of, we complimented each other really well. Um, I think my next one was probably Jonathan Broxton. Um, nice. he was, uh, again, he was kind of like a, like a, a, a brother, uh, to me, he was like a, a big bear and it was, you know, if I jumped on his back, he'd kind of lightly pick up my shirt and just like put me on the ground. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, it was kind of a funny interaction because, you know, again, he's on the other end of the spectrum of size and, um, he's got a, you know, a couple hundred pounds on me. <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, what pitchers do you like to watch and
0: why? Um, I like to watch, uh, I think Kershaw is a guy that I like to watch. Uh, we've got a very similar, uh, pitch repertoire as far as the fastball cutter and, and curveball go. Um, he's a guy that I like to, to study a little bit um, again, because we, I feel like we have the same stuff and we attack hitters the same way. Um, he's a guy that I kind of go to the most as far as uh, video and analytics and stuff like that.
1: I like it. Now uh, with that said, you're in uh, camp with the Rockies this year. Um, and, I'm always curious. Are there specific strategies for pitching at altitude? You know, cause I know you've been to Colorado in the past. Is this going to be totally out of uh, left field for you? Do you feel really confident about how how it goes?
0: I I feel pretty confident. Um, I've always approached the, the altitude as a mindset, to be honest with you. Um, Obviously it matters. Um, Your ball is not going to do as much as it would um, not at that altitude, Mm -hmm. but, to me, it's, it's more of a mindset, um, than anything. Uh, the stuff is, your stuff is still going to be good. You just have to, um, set your sights differently.
1: I like it. All right, man. Well, it was awesome to have you on. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, uh, no we are excited to see you do your thing this year. It's, it's been cool to be, uh, to not just witness your story, but be a part of it as well. So best
0: of luck. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions. For future guests and questions, just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.